Oh yeah. So the buzzer thing, they, they know that's huge, right? And it's been a huge part of the Jeopardy community, especially ever since, you know, Holt Sauer became the champ and, and talked up the, the secrets of the buzzer book and, and all the debate about whether, you know, people do it visually. So if you wait for the little stream of blue lights around the, uh, the game board to go off and that's when you buzz in, or if you do it by, by audio, by hearing, oh, wow. um, so, it, so there's different schools of thought, you know, I, I started, I tried to do the, the video, I tried to do waiting for the lights, but that didn't work for me. So I switched to the audio and that worked a lot better. But clearly the, the Jeopardy people take it very seriously because in your practice round, they are actually keeping stats on each of the players and telling you you're buzzing in too quickly. Oh, you're buzzing in too late. So, so they're giving you in the practice round, they're giving you feedback on, on the buzzer issue, but it's, 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 uh, you know, of course I clicked at home. Right. But it's, um, (laughs) but that was more, you know, it's, it's so hard to train for that because it's really, it's a, it's a staff person in the studio that, that flips a switch or presses a button that says, Oh, the host is done now. And so it's, it's really, you know, quite difficult to, to simulate something like that at home. Right. But Welcome back to Knowledge Brew Supreme, the show that percolates your creativity. And it is I, your host, Dr. John Chansey, and I'm back and better than ever. Before we begin today's episode, however, here is an ad to pay the bills from Barnana Snacks. All right, so my wonderful sponsors at Barnana Chips were so kind uh, to send me a care package with some wonderful snacks and wonderful chips of various kinds, different snacks to try. And I've been saving one for a while that I've been, been dying to try. And it's the organic plantain chips, spicy mango salsa, their kettle cook style chips. So I'm going to do a live uh, first try, a live taste. Uh, and you can get my instant reactions to these chips. I've been dying to try these chips. And here we go. Open up the bag. Give a smell test. Ooh, ooh! I can smell the the sweetness, the the, the spiciness. Okay, here we go. First chip. Oh yeah, oh yeah! I like that a lot. Is the flavor is a little subtle? The spice is kind of subtle, but you can taste the sweetness of the mango right away. But that spicy mango kind of the salsa. Um, kind of creeping up in the back. I can feel the spice in the back of my, the back of my mouth right now. It's really good. Um, it's not overpowering the mango, the sweetness, but the salsa taste together, not overpowering, but a nice kick, you know, um, be good to have a glass of water with these, but I'm not feeling like, oh my God, I absolutely have to rush out and drink a glass of water right now. I like that, that subtle spice, uh, and it combined with the sweetness. So let me give another chip good stuff good stuff so check these out they're barnana spicy mango salsa their kettle style chip it's fantastic i would give it like an 11 out of 10 i don't know is that fair but check it out thanks barnana on today's episode of knowledge brew supreme I'm joined by the one 
and only Dr. J.P. Allen. Dr. Allen is a professor in the School of Management at the University of San Francisco. He has a PhD in Information and Computer Sciences from UC Irvine. And the reason why I brought Dr. Allen onto the show today is because uh, he was a recent contestant on one of the most recent seasons of Jeopardy in their uh, college professors tournament. He advanced in the wild card round of the tournament. He made it to the finals. Uh, my wife and I are just absolutely huge Jeopardy fans. We watched his episode, I think one of his episodes, at least twice. Uh, and ultimately, I, since I started this podcast, <clears throat> I've been dying to have someone come on uh, who's been on Jeopardy to share about their experiences. And now I just feel so lucky to have uh, one here today with me. So with all that said, welcome to the show, Dr. Allen. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm great, Dr. Chancy. I'm here to make all your dreams come true. Fantastic. Love to hear that. Love to hear it. So, uh, how, how, have you? How many times have you watched uh, the episodes that you were? Have you appeared? Have you had? A, have you had a chance to watch them? I should say. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, they just did do a repeat of it last right. week, right? right? So their new method on the show in the old days, uh, they would repeat some tournaments during the summer. That was the summer rerun period when they weren't taping. This year, they decided to mix it up, and they chose their favorite episodes on the right. road to the Tournament of Champions. So I was very honored to see the, that the episode where I flame out and, and, and lose <laughs> is considered a highlight as far as Jeopardy is concerned. There you go. You, had, you, you made the greatest hits one way or another, and that, hey, you, you went down in history, and that's, that's, that's pretty cool either way. So... What I want to know is, I mean, just, I mean, I've you know been watching Jeopardy for years. It's it's like one of the few TV shows that my wife and I feel like the need to watch the same day. We don't always watch it like the time it comes on, but it's like must watch TV the same day. We don't want spoilers. We don't want any of that. So <clears throat> in a nutshell, what's it like to be on Jeopardy? You know, like, was there a point in time, like, were you nervous? What kind of emotions were going through your head maybe before the cameras turned on and as they turned on and the show gets going? <laughs> well, I think you, you'd start to, you know, between the, the call up, well, there's the whole audition process, the call up, and then actually showing up in, in LA, you know, Culver City, going in the studios. Um, even as, before you hit the studio, it, it starts to hit you how huge this thing is. I mean, Jeopardy, like you said, you've grown up with this show, right? The yeah. modern in incarnation is season 38. So there's really <laughs> not too many other cultural touchstones, you know, that go back so far. I can think of my, uh, you know, watching with my own grandparents. I yes. mean, that's, that's how big it is. And as far as viewing, it's, it's the most watched non-sports TV program in wow. America. So, so the thing is, the thing is massive, right? And so that starts to hit you when, when you, you know, get on the show. But of course, maybe, maybe you're also asking about just the specifics of when you first see that <laughs> studio, right? You sure, first yeah, get on yeah. stage. And luckily, I was there for this professor's tournament in 2021. And in the tournament, it's a little bit different. I mean, I don't know if you're aware, but in a normal situation, they're taping five episodes a day. Right. So they go in and they tape on a Monday and a Tuesday and they knock out two weeks worth of shows in two days and for our tournament basically that's what we did but also for a tournament on on the sunday beforehand we get an opportunity to go 
to the stage, tape some promo material and things, oh, wow. and also get a warm-up session. So it's nice because we don't have to just show up on the day and, and see all this and process it for the first time. We, yeah. get, we get a little bit of uh, practice time. So, um, so yeah, you're seeing this thing. You know, you've never seen it before in person, right? So there's some things that are striking you. Obviously, there's a lot of production behind the scenes. There's so many people running around all over the place. Um, the screens are actually pretty far away from the from the podium. That's they're about they're about thirty feet away. Wow. And I would say that you know I think you're you had a, a question about you know how is it different from sort of watching at home? You right. Know, there's there's there are a lot of other things to to process when you're actually there on the show. Um, you've got all these lights everywhere. You've got you've got the light show which shows you when you can buzz in on the buzzer. You've got these little 30 boxes that are 30 feet away from you. And actually, it's not like sitting at home where you're just lying back on the couch. Yeah. And this big question appears in front of you <laughs> and you've got all this time. What's happening is there's all this stuff going on. You've got, you know, your opponent scores over here. You got people speaking to you this way. And you've got this little tiny screen about 30 feet away with this little this little question on it. So. Um, so that part, so just navigating all the different sort of inputs, uh, I think is probably the, the biggest difference between sitting at home and playing versus actually actually getting up there in the studio on the day. Sure. So it sounds like it's not just a trivia game. Like it's not just a matter of do you know the answer. You're also having to process all of this different stimuli. I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, sitting under the lights, you have all of these things happening around you at once. So it, it sounds like what you're saying, it, it makes the game sound even more challenging than I imagine it, you know, to be sitting at home and, uh, you know, makes it all the more impressive, you know, uh, what you and other contestants are able to do on national TV. I'm just even more impressive. Yeah, I, I, I think that's I think that's right, John. I, we professors, we do have a big advantage um, in that, you know, we're kind of used to being on stage, right? Yeah. So that part is is a little bit taken care of, that we're not going to be intimidated by that side of things. Sure. But in terms of trying to master the, the buzzer timing, <laughs> figuring out what your other opponents are doing, and then, of course, um, and then there's this feeling of time dilation, right? Everything is going by so quickly when you're in the moment. It, oh, it wow. really feels like each round is just, you know, a couple minutes. And so probably the biggest thing that the, the staff are there trying to tell people at the commercial breaks and everything else, especially if they're not really in the game or not doing that well, is yes. just to, you know, take a breath, slow down, but also get back in there yes. because there there is a little bit of well you're the expert on psychology i don't want to say <laughs> but but there is this little bit of psychology right all of a sudden you could feel like you know the game is slipping away from you really quickly yes and so you really need to stay engaged and, and just sort of shake off that last thing so i it's probably like what my student athletes tell me like you know you just got to forget that last point or that last missed shot you know you just you just have to move on but you have to do it within seconds because yes. the thing is over so quickly that's such an interesting point and i really i was going to ask you a question specifically about what's going on between those commercial breaks and what i think i've had times where i've i've kind of wondered like okay you just see there's a contestant either who's just running away from it like i think of like most recently like mad Emodio and uh you know amy their most recent runs there were times they would just run away with it 
and it seemed like they would call a commercial break. It's almost like the coach calling the timeout, saying, "Hey, we got to slow so we got to slow this momentum down and get these other players going again. Otherwise, it's a one-person show." And so that that's so fascinating to hear how the show is. You know, they've got to encourage you to play and kind of keep it going, keep it competitive. Otherwise, you know, I could easily see some some people are just can easily run away if they catch a topic or two, and a uh, game can get out of hand. Oh, oh, absolutely. I agree. And if you look at these replays, when they're looking at the, the champions who finally, you know, the people who finally dethrone those mega champions, right, yes. who beat uh, Amy or, or clear out Matt, you know, right from the start, they, they are hitting the buzzer and, and they're not intimidated at all. And they're yes. able to get in there and get, get a start and maybe get that first daily double before things just... Because a lot of those games, things just get out of hand really quickly. Sure. Especially with Amodio going, you know, down to the bottom, the toughest Starting. questions, and running around across there, yeah. you know, just taking total advantage of, you know, the the newbies being <laughs> shell shocked and not really knowing what's going on, not wanting to, you know, oh, I don't get to follow down 200, 400, 600, 800. It's like, oh, this guy's fishing everywhere. The, the categories are changing. What category is it? You know, it's so huge to try to keep track of that at the same time. So. Sure. Ah, yeah, it's it's crazy. So thinking about that, did you, you know, I, it seems like the, the tournament sometimes, you know, they, I don't know if maybe this is just my perspective at home. They sometimes seem maybe not as maybe as intense. Maybe it's a little like you said, you have those opportunities to practice ahead of time. So maybe that kind of takes some of the edge off. So I don't know if that's if that's just what I'm seeing at home or if you experienced that. But did you have any kind of strategy ahead of time that you wanted to try to do within your games? Was there any... Uh, and, he, you know, like you said, Matt Amodio would, would attack the bottom, the thousands and two thousands first. Did you have anything like that you wanted to accomplish or, or start off with? Right. Well, as far as the as far as the tournaments being, you know, less intense, I, I could see that a plausible explanation is, is just that, you know, we're spending a lot of time together. And so we have this sense of camaraderie and we know everyone. Maybe so that's it's not it. just, yeah. a, you know, two random people who are picked out of a room and that's going to be your shot. You know, we're right. we're all there. And so. So definitely there was a, a, a great feeling of camaraderie. We were all there for each other. Uh, in my episode where I did recently, you know, Katie and I uh, both missed the the final Jeopardy, but but we we're just like, please, Sam, get it, you know. So it was <laughs> it was not you know a competitive thing at that point. It's just right. like someone, please save the day and 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 get this. So so there was that. I think also though that um, I think because we had a practice round, and I think also our our, our tail was a little was a little higher in the sense that we weren't going to have people who were blown out, you know, because oh, sure. there's sort of a we had a chance to practice. They've all been very, you know, carefully selected and vetted and things. And so not that not that other people aren't, but sure, it's just sure. that, you know, they're thrown up in a little more of immediate situation. They can have that sort of shell-shocked experience, I think. And that explains why sometimes they're just kind of wiped out before they even know what's going sure. on. So, so, yeah, so I think that. But also, again, we don't, you know, we don't have the the super champ phenomena, which is kind of a weird thing of, of season 38. So, so much of the, it's unusual for so much of the season to be dominated by these super champs. So right. I think those games feel a little different from a typical tournament as well. Um, but as far as strategy goes, the only thing that's different in terms of a traditional tournament is that you have this wild card situation that you mentioned. So yes. I did make it past the wild cards, only got to the semifinal as defeated by the champ, Sam. I didn't quite make it to the final. Thanks for promoting me though. But, um, <laughs> 
you know, so that means in the first round you play Jeopardy completely differently because you're trying to hit one of these wild card spots. Sure. So that's the only strategic part that was that was different, and that means like in the final Jeopardy you don't have to bet at all. You want to be much more conservative and right. things. And um, you can kind of look up from previous tournaments and kind of have a rough dollar amount in mind in terms of the target that would get you through. So I was aiming for sort of a certain dollar value rather than having oh, to try to win the round. Interesting. And so that's that's the only different thing. But I think if you look at like the new Tournament of Champions format, they're going to get rid of that wild card thing. I think uh, really? I think going forward, I think the wild card thing might be might be history. But at oh, least for wow. that tournament, that was that was kind of part of the strategy. Um, the other part is just a lot of a lot of prayer that your your good categories come up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, certainly. Certainly at home. I mean, it's so funny you say that because at home there are days, you know, my wife and I will make comments like, oh my gosh, we're getting everything today. It's like they just, it's like every category, you know, you feel like you're hitting something. Other days it's like, I've never heard of this before and I'm so glad I'm not on here today. And so I can't imagine, you know, as, as, the, as the actual participant in the game, I mean, what kind of, you know, anticipation for the, the categories. If it's nerve wracking for people at home, I'm sure it's got to be just even more, you know, interesting when you're there. Well, right. I mean, we're all prepping like crazy. So yeah. we know historically, you know, all, all the categories that come up and people have analyzed the distribution of those. And we sure. have J archive and other great resources to tell us exactly. But sometimes things evolve. Um, right. There was a little more, uh, you know, for our for our episodes, there was a little more British royalty than there was in the past. So unfortunately, wow. I didn't really cram on that one. And it came <laughs> back to, to bite me. So you can't totally rely on the past, but you have right. a decent idea. Sure, sure. And Another thing I wanted to, to, to know about, and I think you even kind of alluded to it earlier, I, I'm, I'm curious about the buzzer, you know, how, how difficult is it to use the buzzer prior to your playing your game? Did you have a chance to, um, you know, to do any kind of mock buzzer, you know, work? I've heard of people setting up their own games and even having a buzzer to prep. Did you do anything like that? I know, I know you said that you got to do the practice run on site but was there anything you did maybe on your own time or were there any specific topics i know you just said that british uh, royalty wasn't one of them but were there any topics you maybe wanted to make sure you were you know freshed up on going oh, into okay. the game oh yeah so the buzzer thing they they know that's huge right and it's been a huge part of the jeopardy community especially ever since you know holt sour became the champ and and talked up the the secrets of the buzzer book and and all the debate about whether, you know, people do it visually. So if you wait for the little stream of blue lights around the uh, the game board to go off, and that's when you buzz in, or if you do it by by audio, by hearing. Oh, um, wow. So, it, so there's different schools of thought. You know, I... I started i tried to do the the video i tried to do waiting for the lights but that didn't work for me so i switched to the audio and that worked a lot better but clearly the the jeopardy people take it very seriously because in your practice round they are actually keeping stats on each of the players and telling you you're buzzing in too quickly oh you're buzzing in too late so so they're giving you in the practice round they're giving you feedback on on the buzzer issue but it's wow. it's uh, it's uh, you know of course i clicked at home right but it's um but that was more you know it's it's so hard to train for that because it's really it's a it's a staff person in the studio that that flips a switch or presses a button that says oh the host is done now 
And so it's it's really you know quite difficult to to simulate something like that at home, right? Sure. But but I at least did practice you know making sure you know I only buzzed in when I really wanted to buzz in, you know, because. Right. You, you, you get over enthusiastic and then and then all of a sudden they call on you the ah <laughs> I didn't really I didn't really know that and of course built into the name Jeopardy you know you're penalized pretty pretty roughly if you miss something if sure. you come in and miss right so so that's part of the game so you want to be a little careful about that but now the but the buzzer thing is it's so difficult uh, to practice ahead of time I think so you just you hopefully you just get in that sort of Zen flow state. Uh, and you just get to the point where you kind of stop thinking about it. But definitely there's there's some categories, you know, you feel like you're in your strong category. Felt like I had that little bit of extra confidence. And even though I wasn't thinking about it, I felt like I was I was just jamming on those categories. But other times couldn't couldn't get a buzz in, you know. Sure, sure. And I think it was I think it was the game that was replaying with the, you you were on the other day with Sam, uh, who won the tournament, wasn't it? I think I was him. I was noticing you held the button with two hands. I think it was. Oh him. yeah, oh yeah. He he had that kind of two-handed death grip, right? Yeah, so. yeah. I think that's one of the things I just find so fascinating is it's watching the little subtle differences like that. Is like right, how people right, hold the right. buzzer. You know, I mean, yeah. what categories they pick. It just makes the game. And there's so many different ways you can just change the game yeah. and, and play. The it. statistics I've seen said. You you know, single-handed beats double-handed in terms of just pure reaction times. Sure. So people have experimented with it, but you know, psychologically, it's what you know what you feel best with, I suppose. So. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know that Jeopardy, obviously, since unfortunately, since Alex Trebek has passed, it went through a little bit of you know uh, upheaval in terms of the host, but now it seems like that has mostly been settled. You have. Uh, you have Maya Bialik, she hosts uh, for part of the time. Uh, you have Ken Jennings hosting part of the time. And, and for your tournament, the college professor tournament, you had Maya Bialik as your host. What sort of, you know, how would you describe the interactions you had with her as the host? Was there opportunities? I know there was some banter maybe on screen, but did you have any opportunities to chat or any more banter uh, off screen? All right. Well, John, I see you're trying to drag me into the, the great controversy of, of the community <laughs> right now. You know, the whole Ken versus Mayim drama. They're both great. They're both great. <laughs> not not according to everyone. I mean, right. I mean, the book is, is that Mayim is, you know, more popular with the casual fans and, and the hardcores love uh, love Ken. Right. So, sure. Sure. Um, yeah. As far as as far as banter, <laughs> I mean, because you're taping five shows in a day. You know, and there's all kinds of things going on. And another thing that's happening on the show, which you don't see at home, is like this podcast here, right? You have a chance to edit things, move around, take them out. Sure. There are things that are edited in the shows. <coughs> so, for example, in the first episode I did, we did our personal stories, and it just they just stops it out too long. We're going to have to do them all over again. Oh right? wow! So this is in the middle of your game. You're all pumped up, and now you're you're going to have to do the do the stories all over again. So. Um, uh, also there were a couple times when, you know, the host would mispronounce something slightly. In one of my games, there was this really long Icelandic cathedral name. She had to redo it. Oh. Um, but also even they had, uh, you know, one or two of the contestants like pretend they were selecting a category again and have that taped and, and put in. So, so there, so, um, it's not like every show just is cranked out in 22 minutes or whatever. Plus sure. sometimes there's downtime when something goes wrong or they need to check on something. Um, so there's a little bit longer pause. So so all this is to say that there's really not a lot of excess time to just sit around and, and chat with my pal Mayim or whatever. She's 
she's a you know she's a consummate professional you know Hollywood sure. actor she, she's interacting with all this all this production crew they've got all these things going on over there they're trying to figure out what's going on so so it seemed like there was there was nice you know banter in the official segments and you know every every interaction is pretty you know professional and fun but it's not like there's a lot of downtime to hang out or anything right sure sure so that actually what you just said i actually it, it brings up a question i've always wondered my wife and i will make comments sometimes when people are telling their uh their bio you know they have the short time to tell something about themselves and and sometimes people they'll tell stories and you're like you decided to tell that on national television that was the first thing you decided to tell and, not, and i didn't think that by any means that's not what i thought of your you know your bio but i'm just curious did you did you think of something you wanted to tell ahead of time or was it like hey whatever comes to mind first or or did they ask you like hey what do you want to tell us on on live tv basically and art have it ready, oh, yeah. and ready oh, to go? oh yeah yeah they 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 totally ask you and they ask you for at least five different possible personal oh, wow. stories five okay All right and so, and then uh, either the night before or the morning of, one of the producers will text you and say, "Okay, we're going with this one." Oh, so okay. you okay. really, at least in my case, you, we did not have a, a choice. They, wow. you know, they're telling you. I suppose if you were really objected, maybe you could, you know, raise, raise a fuss or something. Sure. But, but basically, they're choosing the one that they they think is best. So. So I had two episodes, and the first one they they picked a story about me visiting a a, a nuclear weapons facility. So that was great. I love, yeah. that was fine. I love that. And after that story went out, I heard from the other fifteen people around the country who are also interested in this topic. So now we all have each other. <laughs> there you go. Thing. Yeah. So that was that was great. Although you're still um, it's still taking up a lot of your mental energy when you're you know and you should be getting ready for the game, but really you're also trying to think. Oh, I need to make sure I nail this personal story, right? Because that's <laughs> that's your big time, right? Yeah. On, on camera. So that was cool. So that was fine. But then in the second episode, they threw me a bit of a curveball. Instead of taking one of my stories, they asked us questions. In in our case, a professor's tournament. Tell us something about you know your universities. And so I mentioned that our university was ranked number one in, in diversity. And so they said, "Oh, we want you to talk about that." And I'm like, "Okay, well, that's not really sort of a fun, pithy story or anything." So <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I'm not quite sure what to do with this a and b i'm also thinking in the back of my head you know this is a topic where you know you, you say something a little bit wrong and you know things can things can go badly quickly sure. so but anyway but but i got through it okay and actually my university was so delighted by it they were just so over <laughs> the moon that i i talked about you know their their top rankings so of course they're they're excited but um but it really was it really was quite nerve-wracking i for the second episode i was i was more way more nervous about the story than anything else oh wow interesting okay i i would have predicted it would have been the opposite i would have been you know my personally i would have been very nervous about the first one but who knows you know maybe it's uh <laughs> who knows when you get on the stage anything can happen so i read that in in your bio you know you made it to the audition portion of jeopardy previously like the, i'm assuming the normal you know not the the tournament jeopardy um, but didn't make it past the audition. So I'm curious, what was it like when you finally got the call saying, "Hey, we want you to come on the tournament of college uh, professors"? Was that was what was that like? Well, 
<laughs> one of my colleagues in the tournament, Hester, she's an actual expert on on the book Moby Dick. But but you know, my white whale was this Jeopardy thing, and I first qualified for it back in 1999, wow. back when we did in person auditions in Chicago, and so that was. I got on the train. I was in Indiana at the time. Went went into the big city. Did all the live auditions and, and qualified then. And of course, when you qualify, you still aren't on the show necessarily. You have up to eighteen months to sit there and wait for the call, which, unlike you know Stockholm with the Nobel Prize, could happen at any moment, <laughs> right? So, but but you get but as you get closer and closer to that eighteen month deadline, then you realize. Your dreams are crushed and it's it's never gonna happen. So so as far as this time when I finally did get the call, it was getting quite close to the end of my eligibility. Wow. So I was definitely in the sort of full, I don't know which stage of, of grief that is, acceptance, I guess. <laughs> and uh, it's not gonna happen for me. And then, you know, like many people, you get this, you get this, you get this call or you get this email and you can't you can't you can't believe it you just you just can't process this thing it's so it's so incredible you have to go through this little dance is this really you is this a prank yeah yeah, yeah. bring this to me um but but no it's it, it was real so yeah i mean i you're just so you're just so excited everything's going through your mind and especially when i heard that it was a tournament rather than a regular performance i was so much more excited so, interesting oh, cool. um, in a tournament there's you know um well, first of all, in a tournament, they pay your expenses. Sure. If you're a regular contestant, they do not. And actually, <laughs> you know, as you know, they haven't raised the dollar amounts in Jeopardy for a long time. So, right. you know, if you're a third place finisher, a thousand bucks, you're probably you're probably out of pocket going to Jeopardy <laughs> yeah. these days. But but anyway, but they do it. You know, it's a it's a five k minimum. So that you know, again, is is a little bit nicer. But the bigger thing was just you know having having a a, a bunch of really great smart wonderful people you know chosen for their sparkling tv personalities or whatever as well as their intellect and just to have those people to share the whole experience with just makes it so much better sure so i was i was really i was really excited about that but then once you get over that initial excitement then you realize oh my you know i need to i need to hit the books you know i need to <laughs> really be studying these things because it's just the amount of material you could cover is, is pretty infinite right so uh, you just have to, and then you have to decide how much time you're going to spend on it. And yeah, all, all these crazy things start going through your head, but yeah, it's just, it's just such a feeling of, of joy and excitement, especially for me. I've been trying for 20 years to get on the show. So did you apply, were you like someone who applied? Like I've heard of people. Oh, oh yeah. Especially, off. especially when they moved to the, uh, online sure. you know, tryout format, I was trying out every, every single time. And now it's, you know, taken any time, but but before this, they were having it every six months or a year. Every time I could, I was I was taking oh, that wow. taking that test. So, <laughs> yeah, my my wife took it for the first time recently, and uh, and I, I think like every email, she's just hoping you know like that's going to be the one that you know says, hey, come you know go on to the next step, whatever you know whatever that might right, be. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> like she knows, you know, you never really get the score, and even if you did get the score, you don't know what score is good enough exactly. It's just you know rumors. Right. Yeah. So it kind of sounded like the way you were, and maybe you can relate to this being a fellow, uh, you know, uh, academic, it sounded like going to the tournament, the college professors, it kind of sounds like going to a really cool uh, academic conference, but you know, you get paid at the end. You don't have to present a poster, but you, you know, you get paid and you got to stand on stage and, and, and talk and, you know, do all that fun stuff. Um, I'm curious, one of the things I like about going to conferences is you get to meet a lot of cool people that, you know, maybe you end up talking to for, 
years and years down the road. Are you still in touch with people from the tournament? Do you all kind of keep in touch maybe as a group or is it, how is that, you know, uh, how's that working out since then? <laughs> well, we're all older generation. So someone set up a Facebook group that <laughs> still exists. So nice. we're definitely on there. And especially since we've all got to be uh, supporting Sam since he's going to be, you know, coming up on tournament of champions. Yeah. So that we're all, we're all still connected with that. We actually had a couple uh, alternates for the tournament who we spent time with. So um, another contestant, uh, Ed Colson, who was an alternate for our tournament, he got on the regular show, was a two or three day champion fairly, fairly close to the end of the season. So, you know, when Ed's up there, we're, we're cheering him on. So um, yeah, I mean, we've actually, yeah, we've, we've been in touch and and that part of it, that aspect of it, like you said, going to a conference, that's part of the most exciting thing, especially when, because of because of a tournament format, especially the first day of taping, when you have the wild card situation, you can't allow uh, contestants to see the other shows being taped because right. then they know what the wild card amounts are. So what happens is is that they uh, they keep us all on a separate stage. In our case, it was the Wheel of Fortune stage, dark. All right, and so we were all there, and then we'd all be called up, sort of three at a time, to go over to the actual Jeopardy stage to be taping. But the people who weren't on the show, they were kept in the dark, right? And the whole day, we're not allowed. It's a digital cleanse situation. We're not allowed to use any electronics, all right? So it's actually pretty interesting because you've got a bunch of really smart people who all of a sudden have no electronics and nothing to do, <laughs> nothing for their, their brains are exploding. There's nothing really for them to do all day. And in the case of me, uh, Elisa and Deborah, we were on the last show of the day. So we were actually on the Wheel of Fortune stage for like six hours just, you know, with each other and the other people as they left. And so, you know, there was all kinds of crazy conversations (laughs) that were going on again. Like, you know, what does Moby Dick really mean? Is, is, you know, is physical, you know, experimental chemistry better than theoretical chemistry? There's all kinds of crazy stuff coming out because uh you're spending a lot of time together but the second day when there's no more wild cards that's a little easier everyone can just sit in the normal studio audience and we can watch everyone else oh how cool here but but for that first day it's this yeah it's this crazy intense experience (laughs) someone should uh make a podcast out of those conversations between all of these smart people without cell phones and standing around and talking about I, I, yeah i know i have a document i wrote i wrote a ton of notes somewhere yeah i can i can send it to you i was trying to i, I did study a bit of uh, anthropology in my my phd days so i was trying to go i was trying to go participant observer and yeah take those notes, so. full ethnography uh for yeah uh, full ethnography that's what i was looking for yes awesome so you know, I think you kind of alluded to this in a previous answer, but I'm curious, you know, what what did what did your friends and family and colleagues on campus think about your appearance? Are you more of a uh, a local celebrity now on campus? Uh, on campus, I'm not so sure because a part of the dilemma of Jeopardy is that it's on regular TV. Oh. And actually, <laughs> uh, most of my students don't don't have access to that and don't kind of know what it is unless unless it's streaming or it's on some video site they don't they don't know what's going on so so now actually you can see that that jeopardy is trying to adjust and now they're doing you know three minute highlight videos of all the shows and all the things so you can show those off but but at the time people were very confused you know oh how do how do i watch this thing so it's a it's a demographic that definitely skews uh much older so When my when my mother, who was who was convalescing in sort of a nursing home at the time, when she mentioned this, you know, the whole 
the whole nursing home was a fire, you know, every screen, every, everyone's, everyone's going nuts, you know? So, and I would definitely say from, from the fan mail that I received, not that I received such a huge volume, but, but from the fan mail that I received, I mean, it definitely skewed much more on the senior side. So, so I feel like, you know, during my moment of fame, I could have walked into any senior center in America and just, just been a star. Sure. Uh, but on campus, uh, no, it's, it's a little more, it's a little more subdued than that. Um, there's definitely kind of a local Jeopardy community. We have some local reporters who are really into it um, and things like that. So a little a little bit of minor celebrity there. But, you know, it's still there's still 400 contestants a season or something. So it's sure. a lot of it's a lot of even though, you know, that's such a small fraction of the, right. the number of people who apply something like 100,000 or something this past season. Wow. But it's still. But it's still, you know, it's still a lot of people to, to keep track of. So I, I would say that, you know, I had my moment of celebrity. It's a little bit stressful to try to deal with everyone online and social media and everything, try to answer everyone. You're kind of I, I was kind of relieved to, to get back to my normal life of <laughs> academic obscurity. Well, I don't know. I don't know much about the University of San Francisco, but I have to think it's it's got to be Bill Russell one and Dr. J.P. Allen, two. On, on the all-time power ranking of uh, University there, of San Francisco, there, yeah, there, there, there are a few others. Uh, there are a few others in between, I'm afraid. But uh, yeah, but we're not after fame. We're you know we're we're pursuit of truth, guys. Right? There you go. There you go. So I'm curious, like you, your episode aired in 2021. It just replayed recently. Um, how long did you have to wait between the recording, you know, your episode, then finally seeing it on TV? Uh, and during that time, do you have to keep those results kind of on the hush hush? Like who, who are you even allowed to talk to this about like this wonderful experience? Is it just the other players or can you talk about these things? Like, right. So yeah, all, all, all Jeopardy episodes are taped sort of roughly six to eight weeks before, before airing. So, um, Sony pictures has this incredible non-disclosure agreement (laughs) with many, many scary penalty clauses. (laughs) If you mention things to the wrong people, et cetera, et cetera. So no, I was definitely, um, but you know, they say, you know, probably, you know, immediate loved ones and things you can, you can tell them what's going on. I mean, my rule of thumb is, you know, someone who would really be hurt if they were sued along with me. So that meant <laughs> I pretty much kept it to my spouse. <laughs> and, that was, and that was it. You know, I'm not going to tell my mother if I get sued, she's, she's not going to be affected really. So, um, sure, sure. so, uh, yeah, that you have to keep it under wraps and it's a little bit strange because again, you're doing these media appearances. Most of them happen right before you're, you're taping and, and you kind of have to, you know, not reveal what happened and, you have to pretend that you know or not pretend you know anyway it's it's a strange it's a strange time travel feeling right that you know you know what you know what the future is is going to be and everyone has to pretend and kind of like imagine what these super champs are like you know thinking right they know exactly when that when they died (laughs) off but you know they have to pretend like you know this could go on and on or whatever it's it's a very it's a very uh interesting strange dynamic to be sure 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 so another thing I noticed in your it was in your second episode specifically, I think the camera in Jeopardy made a point of actually showing how tall you are in relation to the other contestants, uh, you know. And so one, I want to know, like, how tall are you? Because I can't tell from television. And two, are you considered the tallest Jeopardy contestant? Is that something that has even been confirmed? Because 
just from eyeballing it looked like you got to be up there right yeah so so my actual height is about six seven or, or two oh, meters wow. if you do uh if you do metrics so sure. so it is very tall and actually you know behind each podium in jeopardy there's a little platform that moves up and down and traditionally oh. what they try to do is they try to even out the height between the contestants sure yeah yeah um but but in my case uh it, it was not it was not possible so uh, they, they did their best. And actually, it was much more noticeable in my first game. I was playing against uh, Deborah and Elisa, both of whom are, are quite petite, actually. <laughs> and, and so their, their podium, their platforms behind the podiums, they were raised, you know, the full six inches. They were still nowhere oh, near my God. height. But I was very concerned for <laughs> Deborah in particular because she had, some, she had some really styling high heels and she's... <laughs> on this little platform yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other thing that she had to navigate that i i didn't have to worry about so sure. that's a little uh so that's a little extra hazard for her but um yeah so uh, it's it's really hard to know you know who was the tallest uh, person in jeopardy history because again they're always trying to yeah adjust sure. I, don't, I don't know if anyone if, if anyone's ever kept track but but definitely in my case it, they just had to do a blowout thing it might have been helpful that i auditioned on zoom because they didn't actually know oh, wow. how tall i was Interesting. <laughs> so i showed up yeah <laughs> Interesting dynamic. Okay. Yeah. I didn't think about that. So you, you went through the whole process, you know, you mentioned years ago, you went through the process, you qualified, you then get on the college professors tournament, you get two games under your belt. So far more Jeopardy experience than I have. And I love the show and watch it a lot. Um, so I'm very curious, what's your advice to anybody who is interested in either taking the test or maybe someone who's gotten past that point. Maybe they've qualified. Maybe they're invited to play. Is there any kind of advice maybe you wish you would have gotten before you had a chance to play? Yeah, well, in terms of qualifying, I mean, you know, there's you, there's some cramming you can do. And definitely people have all kinds of tips from various websites they can go to. James Holzhauer loves children's books because he feels like that's sort of the right level. Oh, Jeopardy wow. is knowing a little bit about everything, not really going in depth on other things. So so it's a different situation from, say, a, you know, a bar trivia scene where they might go really in depth on certain things or really sure. esoteric. So. So you really want that very, you know, that broad layer. So be aware of, you know, their main categories, the main things that they're looking for. But I think, you know, I think of it as as a lifetime of, of preparation. And I think we academics are used to this kind of thing where we're always we're always curious, asking questions. And when we don't know the answer to something, we, we look it up. Yeah. You know, we take the time, even if it's just going to Wikipedia or something else. So just just getting into that habit of always stimulating your brain always you know if you don't know the answer going going and, and finding it i think are, are kind of big things to, to get over that first hurdle of just general knowledge but then once you start to get into the process then you have to realize that there are a lot of people who meet this this knowledge threshold and then you have to remember that it's an entertainment show <laughs> it's a tv show sure so you've got the, probably the number one thing is when you're taking the tests so the way the process works now you know the next round after you know the first round of auditions is you're doing a, a personalized you know 50 question test in front of a staff member and they're watching you on zoom so when you're doing that you have to look and sound like you're enjoying yourself <laughs> you know and so 
and it, so that that was that was huge, you know. And actually, it wasn't too hard for me because I was enjoying myself. But but it's not just it's not just internal state of enjoying yourself. You have to demonstrate to the world that yes. you're enjoying yourself. So in that sense, you have to be maybe a little bit over the top. So that that wasn't a problem for me, right. but you know, for other people. You kind of have to work on that. And definitely in, in the next round, then uh, after that, then you get put in a, a group situation where you're playing with, you know, nine to 12 other potential contestants. Yeah. And there again, you know, it's it's not really at that point, it's explicitly not really about the knowledge. It's about having the confidence to buzz in, make answers. Don't do, you know, don't do deer in headlights. Don't don't sound all grim and, and say, you know, <laughs> you know, when you miss something and stuff like that, man. It's all it's all it's all gonna be it's it's fundamentally it's you know, entertainment show, good times. So it's a game, you know. So yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Not that every champion is is super, you know, telegenic or anything, but sure. it just seemed like, you know, they were they were looking through that. So, you know, I had uh I had Sarah as my person I was auditioning from. And, you know, at the end of my audition, uh, the 50 question test, she just said, wow, you look like you were having a really good time. And for me, that was, that was mission accomplished. That's what, that's what I was trying to do. I mean, I crushed the test too, just, to, <laughs> just for the record, but, um, but yeah, but I think you need a little bit more to kind of break through. Sure. Yeah. You, like you said, they're putting you on TV. This is an entertainment product. There has to be a little bit of personality, a little bit of panache or whatever you want to describe it as. Yeah. A little bit too much. Now they don't want too much. Right. You know? They don't want sure. just like, you know, you got the question, right? Like, oh, you, yeah. In your face or anything, you know? So, but, but they definitely, but I think probably the biggest risk is just someone just gets up there and they, they just freeze or, or like we were talking about earlier, you know, you just get locked out of a few questions and all of a sudden you kind of get, get checked out or whatever sure. you just go go passive and that's that's definitely the big thing that they're trying to avoid sure so kind of wrapping things up here i've just i mean i probably could sit around and ask you questions about jeopardy all day um but well, we're, we're professors man we can talk all day exactly exactly <laughs> But here's the thing, you aren't just a Jeopardy contestant. You aren't you haven't just been on the show two times. You're also a very highly regarded professor who has written a I'm book. I'm a complete person. Yeah, you're like this. Yeah, exactly. You've written a book in your area of expertise, online internet business. The book, I did a little bit of research. It's called Digital Entrepreneurship and Technology and Inequality: Concentrated Wealth in a Digital World. Uh, tell me about your book. What's it about? And maybe how can listeners uh, find a copy of it. Also, if I buy a copy, is there any chance I can get you to sign it? Uh, well, I'll sign anything. So yes, you can, you can yes. definitely get a signed copy of that. So yeah. So, so most recently there are, there are two separate books and the first one is called technology and inequality concentrated wealth in a digital world. And oh, for that one, that was more, no, it's fine. That one is more, you know, trying to resolve that because of the childhood thing. I don't, I don't know if this is your experience. I don't know if you're a big geek or anything, but for me, you know, as a teenager, I was into the personal computers and, and I, I just really assumed that. And, and for me, you know, the internet was just coming online. And I think we all really assumed that it was going to create this uh, much more dynamic world filled with opportunity for, for everybody. And, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't quite turned out that way in terms of, you know, uh, economic inequality and, and social inequality. So economically, we're still pretty uh, highly stratified. And, and socially, you know, the tech industries have been some of the, you know, sort of least inclusive 
places uh, in our in our general society. Right. So so for me, it's a little surprising. So I tried to write the book to to put those all together. I don't know if I recommend that for uh, for the readership. Maybe just get it through your library or something. It's a pretty academic book. I don't know if it's really meant for human <laughs> consumption. Can you say I don't know if you say that on a on a show like this? But um, but really, you know, I found that one of the one of the big issues from that book was the fact that, you know, our, our innovation systems are really geared towards the needs of a, a very small set of people who are already very rich and powerful. So, so then I decided, well, we need more kind of, you know, inclusive innovation. So we need more and different kinds of people to be involved with this so that all of our innovation isn't targeted towards just making, making the rich and powerful more rich and more powerful. So that, that kind of explains the second book, which is called Digital Entrepreneurship, which is more of a, which is more of a hands-on how to, um, how as, as not, you know, non-technical people, and this is what I teach in my classes, you know, they're not computer science people, they're not coders or anything, get them online and, and start doing business things to try to involve them in this, in this world. So, there's something, you know, like over 60% of the younger generation say they want to be entrepreneurs at some point, you know, and doing it online digitally is is way easier way to start than than any other way, right? Sure. So I wanted to to kind of help them do that. So those are those are those two books. You can get the digital entrepreneurship book. It it, it goes on sale pretty regularly. So that one that one is is readable by humans more or less. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I my goal this year is to read a hundred books, and I'm getting to a point where it's it's hard to find books that I'm like, all right, I want to. So don't don't threaten me with a good time. That I'm I'm gonna need to find a book to fill those numbers. So I'm gonna have to go out and and check this out, or maybe even both, because an academic like me, they both sound fascinating. So um, I'm I'm all in just on hearing that. Yeah. So so I'm curious, you know. I ask this of everybody who comes on. Maybe when you're not watching Jeopardy, what are you watching? What are you listening? What are you reading these days? Anything got you excited content-wise? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I try I try to read a ton. So so 100 books a year would not would not be unusual for me. I'm probably I'm e I'm easily doing a couple books a week. So nice. Um, I, I, you know, I try to keep it broad, you know, because I, you know, I think we have a lot of specialists in this world. We need, we need generalists, you know, that's, that's kind of the jeopardy thing. So I, I like to read, you know, sort of lay person's, uh, guides to, to certain topics like, um, like astrobiology and the origins of life. I feel like that's one place where there, you know, the science is moving so quickly and we're learning so much. Um, another place is kind of like early very early human and pre-human history. So that kind of couple hundred thousand AD period, it seems like a lot of stuff is being overturned in terms of what I was taught in school about how that was all working. So, so I love, I love reading about those pivotal uh, sort of moments in, in history and just trying to understand, you know, where life is coming from and where it's going. So that's like, I, I love I love that stuff. The biggest picture imaginable. So, but then I've got to you know I got to mix it up with some fiction and stuff too. And in sure. fiction, I usually concentrate on on foreign authors. Actually, my Ooh. my thought process is you know if they bother to translate it, it's it's probably pretty high quality. And and I love in fiction just being transported to a completely different world and sure. a completely different mindset. So so I, I tend to focus more on more on the foreign stuff on the fiction side. So. 
I'll um, just, but yeah, just, just read a ton. The more I read that, the happier I am. And I see there's more research going on about, you know, some of the, some of the emotional and other benefits of, of doing reading besides just making you smarter, which obviously <laughs> does. Sure, um, sure. But, but I just feel like, you know, reading and reading and hiking, you know, that's it. You know, I'm trying to be a little, you know, Rousseau or something, just reveries of the, of the solitary walker, just, just doing my thing have my little bit of physical exercise, have my, have my mental stimulation and just life is so much better. Wonderful. Now you mentioned, I, I have to ask, maybe you already know this or maybe you've already read this person. Have you, you mentioned you like foreign authors. Have you read any Haruki Murakami? I have read some of that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So oh, I nice. read, yeah, I read the, read the science fiction stuff. Um, and and so that that's really that's really good. Um, yeah. My wife got into these kind of art house Japanese movies recently, so oh. I, I might I might skip Japan for a while. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. She'll 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 go down a rabbit hole, and then then all of a sudden I'm watching you know twelve Belgian movies in a row or something. So that's just that's just her thing. But uh, but yeah, no that no he, uh, that's that's a very yeah very interesting author. I love I love all kinds of science fiction for yeah. sure. Yeah, that was that's left the- over from childhood. Oh yeah. yeah. And so I, yeah, so that that's one of your favorites? Yeah, that was so in this year of reading, I you know, I read some of his books previously, but this year I made it a goal to like finish his library. So I I knocked all of that out, but man, it's just when I think of like foreign authors taking me to places I've never been before. I mean, some of these Murakami books, I've just places I've never even imagined. You know, not even just Japan, but just his work with science fiction and kind of, you know, uh mystery and things like that is just is very uh intriguing to me yeah so. yeah yeah i like the yeah i like the like the new twist so yeah, yeah. we're going we're going to to denmark uh, in a month for a couple months to visit another university and and so trying to read all these kind of danish noir thrillers they've got oh, tons of those so to try to get manage that dichotomy between you know the happiest most joyful society in the world and you know the sordid crimes underneath <laughs> <laughs> good stuff so Wrapping up, just got one last question. You know, if listeners of the show, if if of Knowledge Brew Supreme, if they want to, uh, if they want to hear more about your experiences on Jeopardy, or if they want to find your book, are are you anywhere on social media or anywhere people can find you? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you can go to jpedia.org. Uh, that's my home base. But you know, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter and all the usual places. I'm pretty I'm pretty easy to find. Just JP Allen out there. Um, there, there was an explosion of weird articles right around the, the airing of the shows. So there all, all my life stories out there for everyone to read <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> if they're, if nice. they're, if they're interested, bunch of Twitter stuff. Um, uh, but my wife handles more of the social media, so she's, she's more on top of those things. Unfortunately, as part of my research, I read about the, the mood effects and the, and the emotional effects of spending too much time on social media. Right. So I actually try to have, try to hold back a little bit, even though it's, uh, you know, professionally, I have to keep on top of it. So, sure. but yeah, um, pretty easy to find, but, uh, jpedia.org, jpedia, my answer to Wikipedia is uh, a place you can always find me. Nice. Okay. And I'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes. So, uh, thank you again so much to Dr. JP Allen from the university of San Francisco for joining me today and telling me all about his, uh, his experiences on jeopardy. My, it is like a dream come true to talk to somebody 
who's been on Jeopardy. So thank you very much. Um, if you haven't got a chance to, if you can, I know it's kind of hard to stream, but maybe you could find those clips or I know sometimes you can find episodes on YouTube. Maybe I'm not supposed to say that. But try to go watch his episode. You're definitely not supposed to say that. But you haven't signed the, the Sony yeah. Traconian contract. So sure, I guess you sure. Can say you want. J, JP does not endorse that suggestion. But, um, <laughs> you know, if you want to see his episode, I'm just saying. Also, buy a copy of his book or both of his books, you know. And, and again, I'll put links to those in the show notes. Um, this is episode 43 of Knowledge Brew Supreme. Again, I am your host, Dr. John Chansey. And I'm working towards a goal of getting to 100 episodes I'm only 57 away from that goal. Thank you for listening. Please share, subscribe, review. Be good, be safe, and peace out.